0: Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to global news and social artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and each week we get to talk to people that are building a more humane world from the inside out. Kind of a special event today. Uh, we're going to introduce a person that's going to be talking virtually at Mizzou January 26th, and two Mizzou professors are here to help us uh, give the context for the Martin Luther King Jr. celebration where Andrew Young, uh, Ambassador Andrew Young, is going to be the speaker, and my helpers today are (laughs) Dr. Stephen Graves, uh, Director of Undergraduate Studies in the Department of Black Studies at Mizzou. Hi, Stephen. How are we doing today? Thank you for having me. Thank you. And Dr. Frank Schmidt, uh, Professor Emeritus in Biochemistry over at Mizzou, determining the origins of life with his research.
1: It's fascinating. Hi, Frank. Thank you. Good to be here. I don't think we'll talk about the origins of life, but... (laughs) <laughs>
0: time. All right. Great. Well, I have announced the coming event. Uh, this is COVID uh, year. So it's a virtual event. Normally it would be a live uh, presentation with Dr. Young or Andrew Young coming in and, and uh, giving his talk. But we all get to join a, a webinar. Are one of you two guys going to be introducing him in the webinar? or how did you get into this conversation?
2: Yes, actually, I will be um, moderating a discussion between Andrew Young um, and some Missouri students earlier in the day during the luncheon. Um, And then I will be introducing him later on in the evening for the, as the keynote speaker um, for the town, for the town hall webinar. And also then just moderating that discussion, that Q and A. And I believe that uh, me and Frank, both kind of just came from this uh, as being on the, Martin Luther King Jr. Committee, and um, and working on getting a good keynote speaker to really drive home a good point, being that this was a very important year and a and a, a very important, uh, interesting time for this country. And so, uh, I think as the um, committee put together a list of speakers, Andrew Young kind of came to the top, and uh, and we kind of got involved that way.
0: Have either of you read any of his books, or actually uh, gotten to meet
1: uh, Andrew Young? I haven't. I I heard him speak probably close to 50 years ago now, and have kind of uh, uh, followed the movement, but I I never actually met him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I recall that his speech was very timely, very appropriate and very well delivered as would be expected. So it, it's just a, a great opportunity for people in the community to hear from someone who was really one of the pioneers of the civil rights movement and continued on uh, afterward. Well, Frank, that puts uh, you and me back in the
0: uh, early 70s, uh, listening to some of these speakers that we're talking
1: about. <laughs> you're, you're too kind. I'm older than that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's okay. Uh, Dr. King came to our campus at SMU in 1966 and gave one of his uh, Evolving Talks, he was, he was in that evolution of moving from focus on civil rights to uh, uh, a broader focus on human rights and the, uh, the triple threat to human rights that we came to be familiar with. What about you,
2: Stephen? Uh, I'm, I am familiar with a couple of his books from early on as a, as a grad student. Uh, I think I, I remember uh, reading uh, No Way Out or, and I think we might have read parts of uh, An Uneasy Burden and so I'm def- I'm familiar uh, with, with his readings through then um, and also kind of uh, spoke on the kind of evolution of his relationship with MLK and I think it kind of speaks to the point that you were just making about um, his evolution from civil rights into something more human rights. But I think it's uh, a lot of people uh, forget to emphasize that towards that end of that evolution was also his emphasis on economic rights and economic inequality and and that really being a, a message that he um, evolved to, which is important because that's kind of our, our theme for this MLK celebration is kind of a evolution and transformation of thought. Uh, so his, his evolution from uh, civil rights into economic inequality and economic justice, right? And, and the increased economic inequality and polarization we currently have in this country between the rich and the poor. And so for that theme to still be as prevalent today uh, as it is towards the kind of end and the evolution of his kind of career um, before he was assassinated um, is really kind of important. So as we, as we kind of think of, you're talking about this kind of Holy Trinity or, or this trifecta of, of ideas. Uh, to economic equality and economic justice uh, really kind of being at the forefront of of his later evolution.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm gonna give a quote from Andrew Young and see uh, what we have to say about it. Quote, I don't believe that the world changes, nor do people, but they grow toward that which they believe in the deepest recesses of their hearts and minds. It is my hope that I will stir those growth enzymes in you so that you and your generation can avoid some of my mistakes and see beyond our hopes to new possibilities toward which you may help the planet and its people grow. He was writing that to his godson, or he was speaking that to his godson, and uh, it got recorded in the book that his godson wrote about Andrew Young. I was kind of taken with that, I don't believe that the world changes, nor do people, but we grow toward those uh, deepest beliefs that we have. Do you have any
1: thoughts on that, Frank? Well, I think that we grow toward deep beliefs, uh, either positively or negatively. I think uh, the events of the last week and a half have shown an evolution towards some really horrible things. Uh, that were hidden. Uh, And certainly that was true during the movement when people faced down the Klan and uh, the Birmingham Sheriff's Department and so forth. I think that, you know, obviously we move toward our our better beliefs too. Uh, Mm -hmm. Certainly as a nation, things that I thought would never happen when I was a kid uh, certainly happen now. And we have Uh, an African-American and Asian uh, vice president. We've had an African-American president. Uh, I think that those count for something. And so, you know, we have these uh, divergent paths from uh, a nation of very limited participation and growth uh, of all people to one which is much more inclusive. my hope is, looking back on the last umpty odd years, is that that is a permanent arc. Even though historically nothing is really permanent, it has at least moved the the bar a bit.
0: Frank, you're uh, you're working with uh, students every day in uh, in a way of growth, but I think I think you may be challenging them to. Uh,
1: examine their beliefs. Is that part of your work? Well, to a certain extent, you know, when I was uh, a member of the more active faculty, I used to teach a a freshman seminar on evolution, which was uh, a subject that wasn't taught in the Missouri uh, school, certainly to the extent that it should have been. And I challenged some beliefs there. Even teaching biochemistry, you you can come up with some rather shaky beliefs that students have that you try and put into a, uh, an area that's more important. You know, uh, in life sciences, we realized with the Human Genome Project that there's no biological uh, basis whatsoever for what we call race, other than an accident of uh, pigmentation. And so recognizing that, and that in fact, all of the genes that are present in Populations throughout the world uh, had their origin and are present in modern-day Africans. Had their origins in ancient Africans and and are now present in modern-day Africans. That we are all Africans, depending, you know, totally independent of what we look like. I think that's really an important lesson that science teaches us. And uh, going back to to Dr. King, I would think that you know he was a great respecter of, of good science. And I think he would have embraced that totally and pushed it really hard. And certainly we try and do that uh, when we're teaching students. Excellent. Steven, is that your
0: experience as well?
2: Well, I've got, I got a little bit of a different uh, experience, obviously being in, in the Department of Black Studies. I mean, one of the, uh, to start with the idea about people changing um, as Andrew Young spoke of um, I think that what we have seen in the past week is that um, the attitudes and deep-rooted beliefs of many in this country certainly has not changed. Um, and that's part of the problem that we're currently facing is that these deep-rooted beliefs held by many in the majority um, are so deeply entrenched and that they're unwilling to change and unwilling to kind of embrace uh, you know, equality on a, on a racial standpoint. Um, when Andrew Young, I think is talking to his grandson uh, you know about some of the mistakes and things that have been made and the push uh i think that one is obviously talking about the evolution of dr king into economic uh justice but i think that he is also speaking to the idea of this push towards uh integration as the solution to african-american people's problems in this country and towards the end of even mlk's life you can see uh, in, in some of his notes in some of his speeches and some of his conversations at this idea of African Americans having places and spaces of their own as being a necessity, and the idea of integrating into some of these uh, diverse or, or these white dominated spaces can be detrimental to the progress of African Americans. And one of the things that we continue to like to harp on is though, even though that there's plenty of the education pointing to the kind of you know scientific discussions of, of race, that this idea of race as a social construct is also has been used as a tool of anti-racist education that really looks to diminish uh, and not highlight the kind of uh, important discoveries and the, and the important uh, contribution that Africans and African-Americans have made uh, to, to, to our whole human species and everything else like this. Um, and so we really try to caution and, and really try to use those things sparingly because there is many to, much to be said about diversity. Um, But that means that the, you know, racial differences need to be embraced uh, and not necessarily just, you know, swept under the rug of, of just all one race, human race, because that literally leaves out a lot of contributions held by Africans, but uh, the experience of dealing with people at Missouri and, and doing students on campus is definitely we're trying to change their beliefs because a lot of these students have had such held deep, uh deeply beliefs from their parents, from their culture, uh, from where they come from, that may not be so inclusive. So part of it is a reprogramming process in some ways for which we're trying to help these students in some ways change some deep rooted beliefs to be more inclusive. Um, and that is definitely the task, uh, I hope, that of, of many of the professors at Mizzou. Frank, uh
0: When you first came to Mizzou in 78, uh, it seems as though you were very interested then in having diversity education uh, more broadly uh, emphasized on the campus. Can you tell us about your experience
1: with that? Well, the first real experience, so a bit of history, I remember two things from when I was seven or eight. Uh, The first was lining up to get the polio vaccine. And I'm convinced that that's one of the things that pushed me toward a career in science. And the second was hearing on the news about the Montgomery bus boycott. And that it was about where black people could sit on buses. And I was in the North, I was in Minneapolis. And I said, well, that's ridiculous. How can you possibly object to someone? They ride on the buses with us and it makes no difference. And so that kind of pushed things along to an an activist sort of uh, uh, bent, or uh, at least supporter um, of the civil rights movement. And then when I moved here, my late wife was African-American. She was actually African-American and Jewish. My son said, well, you know, you're basically white guy. Um, All I need to do is find a Chinese Hispanic spouse and I would have everything covered. <laughs> um, I told him he could not marry Ray Don Chong. Oh, 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 great, um, great. So it, it was interesting because moving to Colombia, which was somewhat segregated at that point, we didn't actually have a whole lot of trouble. But I think part of it was the class. We were university people, and so the people we mostly contended with were university people, and you know, that was, was simply where it was. It certainly wasn't uh, the North, uh, Chicago, where my wife grew up, or Minneapolis, where I grew up, or Madison, where we met, but at least it had this kind of liberal veneer almost. And to a certain extent, that's kind of grown. Uh, the difficulty is that in an academic community, Uh, and our academic community and the community with the history of segregation that Columbia had, race and class kind of get separated. And so it was really uh, when we went on sabbatical to Philadelphia that my wife really felt at home because there was a large uh, African-American community, obviously, and many people who were accomplished that we knew that we met in business or uh, the professions or science or something like that, who are African-American. And uh, and so it kind of uh, broadened horizons, if you will. I always worry that in Colombia now, good old little, you know, blue dot in the Red Sea, that uh, we kind of paper over some of these things. I know when my son was playing soccer, one of his teammates got called the N-word by a, an opposing player. And I knew that there were people that I knew who used uh, racist terms and, and so forth. Generally, they didn't do it with me, but uh, it was something that happened. And the, the big turning point probably was in, I'm trying to say 92 or thereabouts, when we had the, the bid day bash riot, uh, which was for all intents and purposes, a race riot on our campus. And the father of my son's teammate told me he was in the grocery store one day and an, a black mother told her son, if you don't behave yourself, I'm gonna take you down to campus and let them white boys beat you up, which was uh, you know, a rather major indictment. And that's kind of when I started speaking up more in faculty meetings and things like that. And we actually got the faculty to agree to some diversity training programs and things like that. So it was a kind of a watershed moment and I don't think I've looked back a whole lot since then. I remember I
0: was in Fayette, Missouri in high school. I had grown up in Columbia but had gone back for 2 years of high school there because of my mother having a business and I worked at the at the drugstore and uh some two black girls came in in the hot summer day and ordered ice cream cones. And I was behind the counter and I said, sure, I'll get them have a seat. And they wouldn't sit down. And I said, oh, just sit down. Have, you know. I, I protested, sit down. Well, one of them finally touched the side of her hip to the counter stool and uh, I got the cones to them and they slapped the money down and ran out. And my boss then gave me the finger that says, come here. He says, "Dick, we don't let black people sit down in here," and that was my moment of what? <laughs> you know, I, 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 if it happened in Columbia, I had never witnessed it. It was it was just out out of my complete frame of reference. So uh, I know what you mean by <laughs> having a, a wake up call.
1: Well, and and you know, early on when I came here, there was a, uh, a historical. Piece in the paper about the Klan rallying in uh, in Fayette. That Howard uh-huh. County was a big uh, Klan yeah. sort of thing. and people who went to Central Methodist uh, University, who are probably a few years younger than me, but not much, talk about the uh, McMillans, the restaurant where black people came in from the back and white people came in from the front. And that, hap- that basically ended or at least got shattered or bumped a bit when uh, Jerry Wade, who was working for the uh, War on Poverty, took his black staff and marched in through the front door and bought them lunch. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't know what happened after that, but it's, it's really frightening about how some of these kind of unspoken assumptions show up.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Stephen, were you at Mizzou in 2014?
2: No, I came to Mizzou beginning in the fall of 2016. So I came right after um, the protests of that in that spring of uh, 2014, 2015, and um, the protesting against the president of the university at that time. So no, I became I came here right afterwards uh, that fall.
0: Well, uh, recently one of my guests on this show was uh, Ruben Fologi who was one of the co-founders of the Concerned Student 1950 group. And uh, he commented quite poignantly about the healing that he was still going through from the microaggressions that he experienced as a grad student at Mizzou. Um, you, You have any response or thoughts about that? Being the the context for black students still at Mizzou, well,
2: I am I am sure that if uh, he felt that way, that it um, that that experience is probably accurate, and I can pro- and I can tell you that that experience is accurate of a lot of black students uh, on Missouri's campus, uh, even still to this day. Uh, I think that it's important to highlight that, um, that it's much appreciated that the attempts that the university makes to try to uh, increase its in diversity and staff and faculty and students. Um, but there are still many um, steps to be taken. I think that the students, especially uh, confronted with uh, you know, many elements and aspects of a racist culture on campus on a daily basis, reach to and really speak to that experience that uh, not only that that gentleman has had, but as many of the previous alum and many of the current students uh, still have, um, not just what the discussions currently surrounding the Thomas S. Jefferson statue, but um, the disparities in you know, funding for, for African American students and the courses and the, the Department of Black Studies in particular, um, and, and our major and the access and opportunities for which we're granted the, the value placed on Black students and Black faculty and students and staff um, is still one that uh, can be much improved and much better addressed. Um, and that is something that I think uh, that once addressed will hopefully alleviate many of the issues and many of the experiences. Um, that black uh, students have on this campus in the future. So, so it's not something that uh, we continually have to you know, address. And I think certainly think that, that is possible.
0: So I think we're talking about systemic changes that uh, need to happen at a campus level, at a, a state uh, congressional level, national level, because Mizzou's funding comes by way of various uh, <laughs> tools that they use. One of my uh, black friends used to be a uh, in the department there that would raise funds for Mizzou, and she would go out to knock on doors. <laughs> and uh, as a black woman, was not uh, welcomed often and. Uh, actually no longer works there in that capacity. So uh, this is a big issue. <laughs> we're we're, we're yeah. not, uh, yeah. How do you- Absolutely, but,
2: like, but, but as Frank was mentioning, of course, we got a blue start in the Red Sea here and everything else it is. Um, and so when you're talking about statewide initiative and statewide funding, trying to reach and to exercise the poignancy to um, the rest of the state off of the 70 about the importance of a diverse education and the importance of diversity of student and staff population is, is one that still, again, that, that needs to be addressed. Um, so, but, so it's definitely important to, to realize that, but again, on a national level as well. Um, and, and given the current climate and given the way that this that our systems are run, especially with capital being at the forefront of the motive, well, now we're talking about promoting and endorsing those departments which bring in capital and which bring in more and more funding. And those that don't, um, struggling and, and, and trying to climb on their own. So now we're at the point of trying to, uh, express the importance and value in ethnic and black studies and, and all these diversity education initiatives. Um, given that, uh, they're looking at the bottom line and, and what creates funds and what generates profits. And then, and those are going to be diametrically opposed on, on a blue, and a blue dot in the red sea. I hear you.
0: Well, uh, uh, friends, we're talking today with, uh, Dr. Stephen Graves at Mizzou in the Black Studies Department, and Dr. Frank Schmidt, Professor Emeritus in Biochemistry, because we're introducing the upcoming webinar on January 26 in the part of the Martin Luther King Jr. Celebration, where uh, Andrew Young is going to be the speaker. And to uh, speak to what you just said, Stephen, uh, about economics, uh, Andrew Young became the mayor of Atlanta and turned Atlanta into a mega beacon for business and, and commerce and all kinds of uh, growth in the two terms he had there. That sounds like people
2: appreciated <laughs> him being there, doing that work. Absolutely. With, with the turner Broader uh, you know, Turner Broadcasting Center and TNT and CNN and a lot of the economic um, advantages that he put in place there for businesses and movies to be shot there and TV studios to come there and thrive, brought a, a huge diverse population into the city of Atlanta that made it one of the most diverse cities in the country. Um, it's also one of the most growing, most prosperous cities during that time. So absolutely, I think that speaks to uh, the, not only the you know, longevity of Andrew Young and, and of his ideas and of his thought, but also the the practicality and, and how uh, those ideas can actually come into fruition and be expressed and how they can just benefit you know a city at whole uh, and a state at large, really.
0: Yeah, we don't seem to, uh, well, maybe it's because we don't have a leader that has risen up in Columbia or in the state of Missouri that would have that way of looking at the world. Uh, to does it it's take definitely. a a different kind of leadership than what we're seeing today
2: yeah one of service and one of sacrifice i you know and the social media instantaneous amazon two days get it now world i don't think a lot of people are willing to really put in the patience and sacrifice that really that it really takes to make long term systemic changes and to really speak to people on both sides of the aisle and have the compassion and have the integrity to do so with an open mind Uh, that kind of sacrifice and servant leadership is certainly missing Uh, and it's definitely something that is much needed in a polarized country and a polarized political landscape what we really need is someone who's willing to ignore and forego the twitter likes and instagram feeds and really be willing to say when, and and speak to the real condition of this country and take the hits and the come the, along with it you may not be the most popular guy you may not get all kinds of awards but i think that what people will really Fall to is the actions taken and the level of concern and sacrifice that that individual is willing to pursue. And that's just something that we have not seen in this country for, you know, probably for 30 or 40 years, probably longer. I'm kind of being generous, but that's, but that's, what's, that's what's needed. And that's what we really need is that kind of servant leadership and willing to sacrifice. Uh,
0: another quote from uh, Andrew Young We overcame the terror of the KKK with nonviolence. It wasn't the marching, it was the refusal to hate them. It was the ability to see them as our brothers, even as they saw us as their enemies. Frank, can you speak to that quote first?
1: Well, it's lofty. Uh, (laughs) One thing that that quote leaves out is, and, and that I hope that uh, Ambassador Young will talk about, is that nonviolence isn't only let's all pray and and get trampled on. It is also a very power, a way of um, achieving equity in power. And so people look at the, the fact, you look at Pettus Bridge, where uh, John Lewis and others were beaten, and that was a I remember that, I was in college, Uh, we marched around a lot uh, protesting that, but in fact what really made a difference uh, was the Voting Rights Act. And my looking back on it, probably the fact that nonviolence was there was a way to do that. But the other things that nonviolence does is, uh, in many cases, is readjust power. Uh, Look at the Montgomery bus boycott. Change the power structure of Montgomery, maybe in a relatively small way, but in a a real way. And I think the real tragedy of Dr. Uh, King's assassination, and many of your viewers and listeners will remember that Andrew Young was on the balcony of uh, the Lorraine Motel when Dr. King was shot. I think that the things he will, I hope the things he will talk about is how Positions of power and accession to power actually do help change the way people understand the way things are going. So that Dr. King died before the Poor People's March and before he could really push for economic equality. It's obvious that's where he was going, but that was kind of truncated. And many of the things that Dr. King gets quoted for now, the I have a dream and so forth, they leave out the part about America had the had the check that it wrote in 1865 and has been returned for non-sufficient funds. And that's the challenge is to actually make some things happen. And so in that sense, uh, if we go back to uh, CS 1950, uh, they actually did change the power structure of the university. The two top administrators resigned. That made a difference. Uh, I think Uh, it cost in the the short term, but I think it actually helped in the long term.
0: I'm reminded of a a friend of mine, Mary Lennox, had come to Mizzou, I think in the late 70s, about the same time uh, Frank did. And she became uh, the dean of the uh, library science uh, department or school, whatever it, it was called at the time. And I believe she was the only African-American Dean that Mizzou has ever had. And uh, that sort of speaks to how the school supports or doesn't support African-American leadership in uh, levels of administration and so on. I wondered if you would speak to that, Stephen.
2: Uh, Yes. The, it's definitely important. And I think, well, again, when we're talking about gaining support uh, for increased Black studies or African-American administration, faculty, staff, and students, um, it's always important to highlight as this blue dot in the Red Sea that this push is, is not a move towards you know, anti-whiteness or not one to get back to this previous comment you made about Andrew Young, one that's made towards any kind of hatred, right? That pro-Black stances or this push for Black spaces and, and African-American spaces on campus it's not one that's anti-white, it, it's, it's one that's anti-oppression and one, t- one that's anti-racism and, and anti-discrimination. Uh, it's not uh, one that, and this is an issue that we've continually had to face when pushing towards these kind of issues is that, is that it seems to be a zero sum game for some and that any kind of push towards black progress must obviously mean or automatically mean a, 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 some regress in white um, abilities and resources and it's just not that way. Uh, we just think that the the more the University of Missouri would be much better off and that the students would get a much more better experience when they when they are have access to a much more diverse student body and a much more uh, diverse faculty and staff and students and again it's going to take a a sacrificial leader um, on campus um, within the uh, amongst the african-american community and faculty and staff on that campus and outside that's going that would be willing to take those hits but that also is important to take place outside of campus on the in the community of Columbia because there's a pretty good uh, population of black people here in the, in the city of Columbia that have no affiliations with Mizzou whatsoever that still have a voice and still need that you know all the resources and pushing and up that they can get as well and a relationship needs to be um, you know better sought out between um, you know the, the the towns and the gowns um, and so but that leadership that that expression someone who's willing to again know uh, have that level of sacrifice is what's important and what's needed and I think that uh, Mary is absolutely right in her comments.
0: So could you just uh, expand what you mean by sacrifice?
2: What, what does that uh, look like to you? Well, it means probably uh, in this day and age, a lot of hate mail and Twitter mail and emails coming your way. It's not going to be a, pop- uh, a popular opinion. Uh, the, the right thing is not always popular. Uh, is, is not always a popular opinion and a popular stance to take. Um, it's definitely not going to be popular amongst uh, a, a portion of the population who may see, again, just no value in some of these things that are taught in Black education and everything else it is, right? That that their students and that their that children can learn what they need to learn to be a better American without having to learn too much about the African-American experience and or structural racism that they face and everything else it is. And so Being able to go out to those communities and be able to express and share those ideas and thoughts is not going to be a popular one and you're not going to necessarily be going into very popular places and spaces, but someone has got to be willing to go into those popular places and spaces and communicate uh, efficiently and effectively and why that it is necessary again to um, to put value and to put resources into these departments and into these black faculty, students and staff, because it makes the state overall much better and much more enlightened and it makes the university a much better place for all students necessarily to be. Um, and, that's just, and so when I'm talking about that sacrifice and that commitment to sacrifice, that's really what I'm meeting, the, the an ability and willingness to be unpopular um, and to go into unpopular places and spaces um, and be willing to make people uncomfortable um, for a good cause and for the common good.
1: I guess I would add, it's also
2: the requirement
1: of those of us in the white community to make ourselves uncomfortable. It requires change. And you just have to get used to the idea that things change.
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that we've seen is that there is a big uncomfortability in this country with the change that the country or the direction of the country is moving. I think that a lot of things from last week really hit at this point about this country going one direction. And uh, that change uh, is making a, a large portion of the com- community and the country very uncomfortable. But someone's, but it's, it's, it's important to be, uh, to be said, Frank, absolutely.
0: One more quote from Andrew Young to respond to quote, uh, the success of our young leadership may rest on their ability to listen to others coupled with active and curious minds. Is it time to listen? Is it time to, we've heard enough, let's move on.
2: Uh, Where are we at? I don't know how long ago that quote was made. Absolutely, one is time. It is one absolutely time to listen, especially listen to young people. They are frustrated and just as and feeling just as uncomfortable as the people that you saw protesting last week in Washington D.C. Right? Uh, what we're seeing is that young people uh, in this country have a much di- different, varied experience from their parents and aunts, uncles, and grandparents, and that the, the issues that that frightened a um, older generation is not going to necessarily work in this instance with younger people. Uh, words in the 1950s like socialism and red stage and, and and all those things are not affecting this younger generation. They have traveled and studied abroad and been out of the country. They have they have seen universal health care in other countries. They have seen 15 year olds drinking wine at lunch, and they have seen how um, uh, socialism and 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 socialistic. Um, aspects of an economy work and they are and they're not going to be pushed off and afraid of McCarthyism and communist talks in this younger generation they're, they've seen it they're above that and so there's got to be a listening prospect about their frustrations and what they need but there is also got to be a push of change made in academic and institutions and education centers where intellectualism and the and the practice of being an intellectual not for grade sakes not for prospect Profession's sake, not for careerism, but just intellectual virtue, and the idea of being knowledgeable and, and acquiring knowledge for its own sake has to come back to the forefront and become come back to the, one of the main goals of, of higher education. Uh, because one of the main things that we are that we are losing and that we are missing is this idea of critical thought and critical thinking, objective uh, cr- critical analysis and without this kind of um, push towards alternative fake, alternative facts and alternative news sources. Well, we are pushing that amongst the population that is just increasingly able to decipher that information. So we have got to do a better job as academics and as people who are involved in higher education about pushing intellectual virtue and about and increasing the ability to critical think amongst young people. And that, yes, there is a need for higher education, but there is also a practical knowledge out there that, that these that these kids are missing. Um, and so we're talking about this need for listening. There's also an active approach that must be utilized by academics and higher education and by, and by professors uh, where we are back to promoting and, and endorsing and higher knowledge and intellectual virtue for its own sake.
0: I think there are gonna be some critics of picking Andrew Young as the speaker. He's an old guy he's not a young person that might pick up on the actual messages of Dr. King on terms of economics and the Poor People's Campaign and so on and really speak out to that. What do you think,
1: Frank? Is Andrew Young too old to be speaking to our students? Um, you know, it, it's kind of interesting if you look at the history of the Martin Luther King uh, lectureship. We've had uh, Diane Nash, who was certainly one of the pioneers of the of the '60s, but we've also had Bree Newsom, who is significantly younger, who was the person who took down the Confederate flag from the South Carolina State House grounds. Uh, so we try to we try to to mix and match. The other thing about it is that many of the, well, virtually all of the leaders of the old movement who are still with us are, they're in their 80s, at least. And so uh, to a certain extent, having Andrew Young is one of the opportunities for students and for people in the community to actually hear the actual words of a, a leader of the movement. And I think that makes makes a, a big difference. And I can say that, you know, I would not imagine, in fact, well, the one case I know of <clears throat> was uh, Diane Nash, who came right after the CS1950 movement. And she was in tune with the students who were involved with that action. Uh, she knew exactly what was going on. And, and in fact, I think it, it, I, I saw a bit of a conversation, and it was almost magical the way they interacted. I think that getting older doesn't mean that you lose your interest and passion. I say that hopefully as an old person myself. <laughs> amen. I'm going to say amen.
2: <laughs> there's, a lot of lessons that, there's a lot of lessons that young students can still can learn from people who, who have experienced and have. Uh, practice the sacrifice that we're asking that them for them to make today. Um, and so this, uh, so Andrew Young can definitely um, help and be very um, warm and welcoming to a student population who is looking for as much as advice and tools to kind of confront today's challenges th- that he can provide them for sure.
0: Great. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, having some feedback after the event. Maybe we could do another show and get some actual feedback of how the students were handling the questions and answers and, uh, and where they were, where they were in, uh, in that regard and pursue this a little further. So folks, we're talking to uh, Dr. Stephen Graves, uh, Director of Undergraduate Studies, Department of Black Studies at Mizzou and to Dr. Frank Schmidt, Professor Emeritus in Biochemistry, who are part of the group that uh, helped pick uh, Andrew Young to be the keynote speaker at the, we'll call it the webinar, on January 26 at 4.30 in the afternoon. And everyone is welcome to... uh, attend that, you don't have to register ahead of time. I wonder one of you can uh, tell people how to access that uh, webinar on the 26th. Do you have the technical? uh...
2: Absolutely, right? So for those who are looking to gain access uh, to the webinar featuring Andrew Young, they can visit uh, the university's website mlk.missouri.edu. That is mlk.missouri.edu. And that should um, grant you access to uh, what we hope to be a, a great webinar and a great experience with Andrew Young and, um, and the greater community.
1: Yeah, I, I'd just like to emphasize that there is virtually unlimited participation. So we're not uh, limited by filling the Missouri Theater or anything like that. There will be plenty of space, not only at that website, but there will be a spillover channel on YouTube. So jump in. All right, thank you.
0: I like to end my shows with uh, my guests just having some final uh, reflective comments if it's your stage. So uh, whatever comes to mind that you would like to end uh, this show with, uh, we'll just go one at a time, and uh, whoever feels led to speak first, take off.
2: Well, I'll just start by just saying that Black History Month, at the University of Missouri is coming up next month, and we are excited for a full calendar of events uh, that'll be taking place uh, again, also virtually. Um, so, but we are very excited for Black History Month next month and um, our first in, uh, annual Malcolm X Day, and we're a great keynote speaker we're having Ayesha Bass come as the keynote. So, we hope to have the same kind of push and the same uh, amount of Um, excitement from the community and from campus um, next month for a full calendar of events for Black History Month um, as we'll hopefully get um, this coming up next week for MLK Day and with Andrew Young. Thank you, and Frank?
1: Well, I just want to say that Andrew Young is a unique individual that if you follow his life trajectory, he started off uh, as a minister. He worked for uh, a largely white organization, the National Council of Churches. He joined the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and, and then moved into politics and economic development, uh, both as ambassador to the United Nations. Uh, he did a lot while there to expand the definition of human rights to uh, around the world. In fact, it's what it got him fired. And then in, in the development in the city of Atlanta. And I think that that uh, trajectory is really interesting. And I'm hoping that he'll give us some autobiographical information as well as uh, where he sees things are now. Great. I really look forward to this. Uh,
0: I've learned more about Andrew Young in the last uh, three or four days reading some of these materials. And and, uh, it's been a good education. I I really appreciate it. So gentlemen, I will say thank you, and to my audience out there, remember, wherever you are, that is your world. Please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it, because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care, and talk to you soon.